This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's uh, let's get into the Word and see what the Lord has for us today, um, but let's pray first. Father God, we thank you for this Sunday evening that we can sanctify it, we can set aside time to come together and to have sweet fellowship with you. We know, Lord, that you're, you're going to provide all of our needs. You know that next week when it's a, it's a new week that you might have somebody here for us to be able to sing and, and worship you, but but we don't just worship you through singing. We worship you through um, studying your word, focusing on you, praying. We worship you tonight as we look at your word in the book of Acts, and, and we thank you that, uh, that you've blessed us exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, and we're so grateful. Just want to hear from you tonight. Want to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Acts of the Apostles. Nowadays in the world that we live in, there seems to be a different brand of Christianity for everything. It's kind of gross to me. Um, I was just talking to somebody this morning. We were talking about our Croatia trip, and they're saying, well, where are you going? And I said, well, we're going to fly into Venice, cheap, super cheap tickets into Venice from Vegas go down to Rome. Oh, you're going to Rome? Yeah, we're going to Rome. I like Rome. I say, have you ever been to the Vatican? Yes, I've been to the Vatican. Has, it, has anybody else been to the Vatican? When I went into the Vatican, I became physically ill. Like I thought I was going to lose my cookies because it was so Babylon. It was so man-made, gaudy, disgusting that all the focus was put on people and, and zero of the focus was put on God. Zero of the focus was put on, on Jesus. More of the focus was put on Mary than, than God. And it was it's just so like, oh, I feel when I got out, I feel dirty, you know? So the Catholic Church, a.k.a. the universal church, you, you see this happen throughout history. I think Greg Laurie said it best once when he said, uh, man movement, and monument. And this was his message to Calvary Chapel past senior pastors the, the, the year that Pastor Chuck Smith died. He said, Calvary Chapel needs to be careful that we don't let history repeat itself like it always has with every person, every Christian brand. This is what happens. God moves mightily through a man. It becomes a movement, but then it turns into a monument. It's a statue that's set up and you go through the motions, but, but that's, not what, that's not what God intended. You know, when, when we look at the seven churches of Revelation, do you know when Jesus talks to the church of Ephesus, it's so sobering for me because what does he say to them? He says, you guys fell from your first love, right? He says, repent and do the things that you did before. Or what does Jesus say he's going to do? I'm going to come and remove my lampstand, right? What does a lampstand do? A lampstand holds the light. Jesus said, you are the salt and the light of the world. And what Jesus is in effect saying to the Ephesian church is, you guys have become a shell of what I want, and I no longer want you representing who I am, which is hard. Like if God would ever say, Tim, you know what? You started off well, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You've now, begun, whatever you have started in the, in the spirit, you're, you're going to perfect in the flesh. No, you know what? I'd rather if you didn't represent me anymore. Now, we're not talking about salvation issue. We're not talking about, you know, going to heaven or going to hell or none of those things. All we're talking about is God has called us to represent him while we're on this earth. Has anybody ever, has anybody ever said something about you that wasn't true? Talked bad about you and it came back. And, and you're frustrated because the thing that, that was said is, was not true, but now it reflects poorly on you. I remember a few years ago, uh, this, the Seahawks Super Bowl, they lost the game. 
I think it was a playoff game or something. And the reporter went to this, one of the team members on the Seahawks team. And this guy just like came unglued, unglued on live TV, just like freaking out. And, and as I was looking at that and I was, I was thinking about that, I was like, man, this guy is a tool. You know, he is like over the top, dude, compose yourself. You make millions of dollars to run around in stretchy pants. You're gonna be fine, right? And I went away thinking, I wonder what's gonna happen to him. I wonder what the Seahawks are gonna have to say to him later on, you know? Slap him with a fine. Hey, you you misrepresented us as a team. You're an individual on a team and you misrepresented us. That's not okay. And I ask myself often, how am I representing the Lord through my life? Or how are we as a church representing the Lord? And then we have the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 1. And you hear so many people in the church Oh, we want to get back to how it was in the early church, and we and we you know we'd be doing it right then, and and God's going to bless it if it's like no. Listen, God doesn't want you following any formula. God seeks those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. God does not have a box that He wants you to fit inside. That He'll give you increase if you do it His prescribed way. God wants your heart. God wants our hearts, church. And I think one thing that you can take away from the book of Acts is that these are people who radically had their hearts changed, who radically had their hearts touched. And that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You look at a time that's unprecedented. The Romans are building these roads, these highways. Travel is easier than it's ever been before. And, and it's like God paved the way literally for the gospel to go out to the world. Yet, we, we would say, oh, that's God's timing is perfect. You know, like, look at that. It was set up for Paul. He travels all over. He's planting churches everywhere. Yet, I can get on an airplane and fly around the entire planet in about half of a day. But I find so many excuses even me, like I'll be honest, I find so many excuses not to share the gospel with people. I could be running around telling everybody about Jesus, but I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Like I should probably get to know people a little bit, right, before I share the gospel with them. Listen, it, the opportunity presents itself to you on a daily basis to, to have uh, the, the ability to share the gospel. The church I hear people talking about the state and the condition of the church today, just like I did in the beginning, the flavors and brands of Christianity. The church is always going to be messed up, y'all. The church is always going to have issues. It, once we start reading through the book of Acts, we'll see that they had issues too. They're not even a model that I, I, that I don't know if, if I'm willing to really follow because they made mistakes and there was give and take and they recognized it and they adjusted it. So are we a people as the church that submit our hearts to God and say, God, not our way, but your way. We want to know you. We want to see you in our midst and we want to represent you to the world. I think that's what, besides worshipers who worship in spirit and truth and, and God desiring to have a relationship with us, I believe that that's what he wants from us. He wants to hear us say, God, we want to know who you are so we can show people rightly because right now, on the world religion scene, even in Christianity, God is so grossly misrepresented, it's disgusting. What the gunman that went into the mosque in New Zealand murdered 50 people. I wonder if he did it in the name of God. Because all these people are doing all these things in the name of God. And, and it's much more biblical to say that that's taking the name of the Lord your God in vain than saying his name in an appropriate way. Not to downplay that, because that's not okay. But you have people running all around, taking the Lord's name in vain by saying and doing things in his name that he would never put his seal of approval on. 
So, what do we have? We have, historically speaking, every time there's a revival in the church, there is a uh, very powerful, very passionate adhering to and honoring of God's word. Look throughout history. The Methodists were named after their method of studying through the Bible. They're, now they're ordaining homosexuals. So what happens? You depart from the word of God. Next thing you know, your candlestick is removed. So we have the word. We'll see what the word shows us with the early church. Let's jump into it now with the... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Historically speaking, let's just cut right through it. Luke is considered to be the author of the book of Acts. He's a, he's a physician in his writing. He's very precise. His language ability is superb. He's classically trained. He's a Gentile. If you're a note taker, he is most likely, if he's a Gentile, which most people believe that he is, he is the only Gentile that penned a book of the Bible. Two books, technically. So, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a Gentile writing to Theophilus, a high-ranking Roman official of this Jesus. At this time, the buzz of Jesus and his followers is very great, and people are asking questions and want to know what's going on. He says, until the day in which he was taken up, after he threw the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he had presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The, the agenda by God the Father has not changed. His desire is still that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this apostolic age, the apostles are being sent out to give the good news of the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but if you know anything about church history, but all of the apostles were martyred except for one. Is it pop, pop quiz? John was the only one. Very good Bible scholars. So I don't know if you remember, but in the night before Jesus was crucified, what did Peter do? He denied him, right? He denied Jesus. Do you think that he was in the kind of position or place to be giving his life for somebody that he didn't even know if he fully believed? Now, I say that to say this. God was preparing Peter for that ministry, but I'll tell you what, if somebody's threatening to, to murder me, to kill me, and I have a fake belief system, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I'm really willing to go down at that point. Jesus appeared to them over the course of 40 days showing them many infallible proofs that it was him. Isn't that cool? He was bolstering them up, getting them ready for one of the most difficult tasks, the most difficult task that, that they would ever do. Chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you know one of the, 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 the most amazing gifts of God to us as the New Testament church is the Holy Spirit. Some of the most controversial doctrine in the church is about the Holy Spirit. And some people would like to write him off altogether, like the cessationists. The, the gifts have ceased. God doesn't pour out his spirit on us like he did in the apostolic age. I feel sorry for them. Seriously, I feel sorry because if it wasn't for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I would be the biggest loser like I was before in, in all of history. 
I need the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Now notice what we have to reference back to this a few times. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Notice these are commands, they're imperatives. Jesus is saying this is important. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, have you ever, has the Lord ever ministered to you or spoke something to you that you kind of took a little bit overboard, you know? Has that ever happened to you? I've done it, you know? It's like, like just because, you know, I, I feel inclined or I felt like the Lord said something to me, I'm never going to do that again, you know? Like, it's like secular music, for instance. You know, I'm never going to listen to secular music ever again. The only music that I listened to was Christian music and, um, and classical music. Because classical, sometimes I just need no words. I just need beautiful music and I can worship God through the music, you know? But over, over the years, I don't, I, maybe it's a more of a conviction, but over the years, it's like, you know, there's some music that isn't really bad. I love jazz. I always have loved jazz music. I remember driving to church every Sunday morning with my dad with the jazz on the radio, driving to Mass every Saturday morning. Now, if you're taking note, verse 4 is going to be an issue for the church later on. We're not going to get there tonight, but what does he say? He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Few things. The Holy Spirit, it was not possible for the Holy Spirit to indwell people before the cross of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it was not possible for you to house the Holy Spirit. And this is why you're dirty and God's clean. After Jesus died on the cross, he cleanses you of your sins. God doesn't any longer look at you in your filth. Your righteousness, it says, is like filthy rags. He sees the blood of his son that covered you and purified you, and and you are a housing suitable for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. We see this in the Old Testament. You can look at every Old Testament reference, and, and the Holy Spirit never dwelt in anybody. What did it do? It came alongside, or uh, epi, it came upon Samson, it came upon him in power, it came alongside, but we don't see an indwelling of the Holy Spirit because it wasn't possible. Now, the promise, the gift of the Father, since you are cleansed, you house the Holy Spirit. How do you make decisions based on the fact that you house the Spirit of God? I'm not trying to guilt trip you because I do this myself, right? I, I do stupid things sometimes, and I think to myself, nobody knows, nobody's going to see, you know, it's, I'm not Pastor Tim right now, you know, so I can do something that, that, that doesn't really matter. And, and, and I think to myself, what does God think looking down on me right now? Like, we're not alone. There's principalities and powers. Like, open my eyes. There's probably stuff all around me. And like, I'm literally not alone being an idiot. <laughs> and, and they're looking at me. They're like, why, why do you people do this? You know, it's like we talked about this morning. Creation groans earnestly for the, 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 the fulfilling of the sons of God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a way that nobody in history had before. And then here's our key verse. If you want to sum up what the church is supposed to look like in Jesus' words, look at verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. 
You may know that word power in the Greek is dunamis or dynamite. That's the kind of power the Holy Spirit wants to have in your life. And what does he want us to be after we receive that power? His witnesses, which brings us kind of full circle back to our introduction. How am I being a witness of who Jesus is? And again, it's not a guilt trip. It's just an honest question. Am am I being a witness of Paradise Calvary Chapel? Am I being a witness of Calvary Chapel in general? Am I being a witness of an evangelical church in America? Am I being a witness of a non-denominational church in Las Vegas? Or am I being a witness of Jesus Christ? Because none of those other things matter. And we, we see here also that there's a, there's a, there's a question of the kingdom. And, and what is it specifically about? The kingdom of Israel. And God's like, you know, I'm sure Jesus is like, you guys are so silly. Like, I'm talking about the kingdom of God coming to earth, and you guys are hung up on the, the nation of Israel, which I get it. You know, the promises are going to be fulfilled. But thinking big picture here, he's like, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, how... Um, you are going to be effective by the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and to see people's lives changed. Now, when we have spoken these things, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up in the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. So everybody sees Jesus leave. The man says, the angel, he's going to return in the same way that you saw him leave, which is pretty specific, right? Which is good. We can take that to the bank. Jesus is going to come in the same way that, that he, he, uh, he left on the clouds, coming down to humanity, and then it says that they returned to Jerusalem. And then we have a few more keys for the early church. It's really simple. Number one, what did he instruct us to do? Be his witnesses. Number one, be witnesses of me to the world. In Jerusalem, where you're at right now, in Judea, the surrounding area, in Samaria, the Gentile region, further out, and the uttermost parts of the, the earth. When we were missionaries, people would say, oh, we're so, they, and, and you know, just bear with me oh, you're so amazing. I can't believe that you live across the world and you left your family and you had babies over there and I could never do something like that. And they would fawn over us and it would make me really frustrated. I'd say, please stop, please. I'm not not special. I, I I just started in Jerusalem. Then I went to Judea. Then I went to Samaria. And then God took me out over here. That's it. And what do you do? I'm an accountant. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody at, at your office? You, you got to start where you're at. It's not like you, you just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to be a missionary to Eastern Europe. It doesn't happen that way. There's a process that God takes you through. With your, when you're faithful with a little, he starts to grow that and expand it and take it out further. Jerusalem's right where they were. Start right now, every day. You meet people every day as you go through the day, right? There's every opportunity for you to say the simplest, simplest thing. Like, I just wanted to tell you that Jesus loves you. And you'd be surprised at how that touches people. Because people aren't friendly, generally speaking, right? I'll never forget, I was working at Desert Honda Suzuki on Tropicana. It's not there anymore, but you guys remember the Desert Honda Suzuki on Tropicana? I was working there as a porter slash trying to get into sales or whatever. I was really into dirt bikes and off-road stuff. And um, I was doing receiving one day, and we had some trailers coming in from Southern California. 
and we had this guy pull in, and he's got all these trailers. Have you ever seen how they transport trailers? They have one trailer, and then they pile like five or six more trailers on top of it. Just kind of ironic. <laughs> the trailers are, anyway, on a trailer. And um, it gets there, and the guy comes out, and this guy is like, man, uh, he's like East L.A., tatted completely all over his face. He's bald. He's tatted all over his head, his neck, his arms, and he's just like hardcore. I'm like, you know, I'm like, whoa, how's it going, man? And he jumps out of the, of the truck and he's like, hey, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm doing good. He's like, hey, man, you know God? I'm like, well, yeah, probably more than you do. I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking like, what are you talking to me about God for? He's like, dude, I, got, I just got to tell you, man, God changed my life. I'm going to this church now. The pastor's name is Raul Reese. And, and God transformed my life, and I'm a completely per- different person, and I have the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now. At this time, I was struggling with my Christianity. I was struggling in my walk. I had uh, made a profession of faith, but then uh, went back into the world and was struggling with some life decisions that I had been making and, 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 and was failing miserably. Ah. And God used this guy from Southern California to remind me that God was still pursuing me. And that's as simple and easy as it is. Or if you don't want to say anything to anybody, people don't do this anymore, take a track. You know, people are tired of being on their phones all the time. They're starting to get tired of it. I see something, you know, with some writing on it, pick it up and read it. What does your faith look like? What is your faith? How is your faith manifested? You say that you believe a certain thing. How is your faith manifested? And if you don't know what to say, say, God, you know, give me the, 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 the power of your Holy Spirit. You know, the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. This is going to rock your world. We'll see it over and over and over and over and over again. I used to have arguments with Pentecostals because they would say the primary evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life in, in, in the book of Acts is the gift of tongues. Eh, wrong. The primary evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is boldness. Boldness? Yeah. We see people doing things and saying things that they had never done and would never say or do to these people. And every time Peter opens his mouth and every time they continue to preach the gospel, we'll see over and over and over again, it says it's, it's in boldness. They're being threatened. Their lives are being threatened. And what do they do? They continue to boldly proclaim the word of God. If you have a question, you say, you know, maybe what, you know, where am I at? Maybe you ask God, by the power of his Holy Spirit to give you boldness to do things that you wouldn't normally do as, a, as an evidence of your faith. And I'm telling you that it's not easy for anybody, not even me. Like I said, sometimes I just want to check out. You know, sometimes I've been ministering to people the, the entire day, nonstop. First thing when I wake up in the morning, two morning services, all the people afterwards, meetings, more people, night service, and I'm driving home, swing by Walmart, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to get what I need, and I want to go home. And the guy behind me is like, hey, what'd you do today? I'm like, just leave me alone. Why are you talking to me? You know that I'm going to have to talk to you if you talk to me. Okay, it was a great day, man. I'm a pastor. I was in church all day. Oh, you're a pastor? I need you to pray for me. I don't want to pray for you right now. You know how many people I pray for today? I don't even know you. Come to church. Yeah, sometimes I feel like that too. And sometimes I have to be reminded that the disciples were exhausted. They trained with Jesus for three years. Intensive. Could you imagine? Intensive evangelistic training by Jesus. And they're like, we're tired, we're exhausted, we can't go on anymore. He's like, get in the boat and go to the other side. And, and, and the storm comes and they're up all night. And the, oh, we're so tired the next day. And oh, all these people found us and now they're coming. There's 5,000 people and they're hungry and we don't have anything to eat. Jesus, what does he say to them? Give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Could you imagine? They're running on fumes. They're exhausted. But when the opportunity presents itself for us to be his witness, 
Let me tell you what, what God is doing in my life this season. Let me tell you how excited I am that, that God so wants me to be part of the big picture, his plan. And this is what he says. He says, here's these group of guys. They're together. He instructs them to be his witnesses. And it says here, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. If you were taking notes in the beginning, another thing, number one, a turning to God's word brings revival. Number two, a desire to be his witness brings revival. Number three, um, continuing with one accord, unity brings revival, I, I believe. And I think that that's, that's one of the big problems we have in the, in the good old U.S. of A. We don't have very much unity. And we really want to major in the minors and minor in the majors and really pick and choose, you know, who... Listen, I lived in Croatia. Grace and I lived in Croatia. The, the closest Calvary Chapel to us was um, five hours away driving. We were, we were utterly alone. We were by ourselves. The only other people that were Christians, the average church size in Croatia to this day is 20 to 30 people. The only other people that we could have fellowship were these Christians from other churches. You ever heard of the Brethren Church before? Brethren Church, Wesleyan Church, Pentecostal Church. Guess what? They were my brothers and sisters. Everybody else completely rejected us. But there were some things that, you know, like when I get together with you, I don't want to talk about what your position is on the gift of tongues. <laughs> I'll read you what my position is, and I'll challenge you to do the same, but I don't want there to be something that creates this disunity because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if we are all one house, we are, it's told that we are one spiritual building. We're being built up as living stones. Does it say that we're all different buildings being built up into a, a, a temple? The, a, it says that, that we together. You've heard the jokes about how surprised we're going to be when we get to heaven and the people we're going to see. Jesus himself was seven different churches in Revelation. Seven. There's going to be variety. There's going to be people that, that, you know, that think differently, that look at things differently. So number, number four is, is uh, unity. There has to be unity. In, in Now, obviously, I think that we make a bigger deal out of it than, than we really need to, but obviously, um, heretics can't hide themselves. <laughs> it comes out like what they believe and, and primarily, what's going to anathema you? If you're going to get anathemaed, if you're going to get get thrown out, like Galatian, Paul says to the Galatian church, what's it really going to be about? What's it have to be about? What's the real primary uh, qualification of being a heretic? Preaching a different gospel. That's it. We preach the gospel of grace. It's by grace through faith that you're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. If, if you tell me that, that I have to work for my salvation, then I cannot have fellowship with you. <laughs> but, you know, and yes, I understand and don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I understand that there's other things as well, but, but what we see here in the church is uh, uh, people so coming together and waiting on God that it creates unity with one accord. And in prayer and supplication, the last thing is prayer. Prayer, I would move prayer to the beginning of the list because without prayer, you can't even have unity. So you pray, you seek God, and it is so subtle, it is so interesting how easy it is for our prayer lives to be the first thing that goes out the window. Sometimes I'll even read my Bible more than I'll pray, which is a terrible thing to, to confess. But I'm more comfortable with reading a chapter or two and then just getting on with my day than really giving some time to, what does it say, supplication. 
and saying, God, this is where I'm at right now. This is where my wife's at right now. This is where my kids are at right now. And you know it. And this is what I need. And the only thing that I want is that my kids would walk with you and that we as a family would be a good witness of you every day. And while today is today, that it would be true for us and your church and the people in the church that are struggling with these things and so-and-so and her and him and their sin issue and this and that. It's just easier to say, I read my chapter for the day and go about, you know. You know, there's people, everybody, I guarantee we go around this room right now, everybody's got at least one prayer request. You better. That means that when you go home tonight, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. We can count me twice because I have more than one. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 people. Few in the back, you know, let's, let's bump it up to 20. How long would it take you to go home tonight and pray, even if we don't bump it up for 17 people? It's going to take a minute, right? Unless you're just praying and bless them and unspoken, unspoken, unspoken. I don't know what I'm speaking. It's all unspoken. Just bless them, Lord. And take. No, it, there's intimacy in relationship. When I pray for somebody, I care about them. So I'm thinking of what else I can ask the Lord on their behalf because that's what the church looks like. We care for each other. We love each other. Have a prayer list. Start keeping a prayer journal. This, this blows people um, out of the water every time. How many of you guys have a prayer journal? How many of you, the, the Lord rocks your world when you read back your, over your prayers and you realize like, I prayed about that and I forgot and God still answered the prayer. Like that's how faithful God is. I prayed that prayer and forgot or chalked it up to a coincidence. God says, I hear every word that you speak. Uh-oh. Hey, if that makes us nervous, maybe we should be careful what we say, but maybe we should also rejoice in the fact that he hears every word that we speak as well, right? God, you hear every word that I speak. This is, this is where I'm at right now. And this, I say the same thing when I'm not in a good place. You know, when I don't even feel like praying, I don't want to. This is what I say to the Lord. I say, Lord, I'm, I need to pray. I need to talk to you. I'm really not in a good place right now. <laughs> please help me. I'm not in a good place right now. So help me, please. Even if it's as simple as that, guess what? I'm still engaging him and he has the opportunity to say, hey, you want help? Here you go. Here's some help. I don't know what was going on, but I was having a bad morning this morning. I don't know. It just felt funky. You know, got up and three kids are sick. My wife is staying home. She's supposed to be here at church with me. I get here, you know, a bunch of people are sick and there's a bunch of little few things going on. And I just felt like, oh, you know, it's just having a funky day, weird day, you know. And I'm sitting in the back worshiping for the second service and I look over and there's three men in the congregation that morning that impacted my life so powerfully. And they were all in church this morning. They came to hear me teach the Bible, which is very humbling. Hey guys, come on in. We're casual tonight, which was very humbling. First of all, Pastor Tommy Bertoli, you guys know him. Pastor Tommy was my first ever mentor that I ever had. He's the one that taught me how to study the Bible, taught me hermeneutics, poured into me. His office was open anytime back in 2001. I'd go in and we'd hang out in his office and I'd make fun of him because of his New York accent. Here we are almost 20 years later. He's affirming the word that's being taught, right? I look in the back, there's Larry Palmer in the back row. Larry Palmer was a pastor of Calvary Chapel Henderson. When I came back off the mission field, Larry Palmer was really one of, I can't say the only guy, but, but Larry and I just kind of connected. He's just that kind of guy. If you know Larry, he was just, he was I, I was, I was hurt when I heard that he was stepping down from ministry. Now Larry is part of Paradise Calvary Chapel and he tunes in every Sunday morning to watch via online because his family attends here and he considers this his home church now because he works up in the mines humbled. And I look over and I see Steve Venable over here. How many of you guys know Steve Venable from Calvary Chapel, Spring Valley? 
Steve was also a mentor of mine when I was there in the early 2000s. Steve was the one who prayed over me and sent me to Europe when I got on a plane and flew to Paris. And you know, Steve is struggling with his health right now. It's difficult to see that. But I was talking to him this morning and Steve is like, Tim, I remember when we sent you, when I, when we sent you out and I followed you the whole time you've been gone and I'm so proud of you. I'm going to choke up like you're proud of me. Dude, look at what you've gone, what you've been through, God's faithfulness. And I'm just so blessed by when I see the body of Christ being unified and, and, and going forward together in those fundamentals that we just covered. Our passion is to be a witness for Jesus. We're seeking him. We're praying. We're, we're in, in unity. These things, I believe, are the recipe to another outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the world. Not, not to say that he's not doing or he has to do it through us, but if we want our lives to look like the early church, we don't, we don't dissect it and break it down into the church is too big so we have to go to small groups. That's not the formula. It's genuineness of heart. It's a submission to God. It's a loving of each other. You know, in the last days, the wax of many is going to grow cold. What does that mean? It's easy to go to a big church and not know anybody. Can anybody attest to that? It's easy to go to a big church and not know anybody. And it's easy to make excuses to go in, to get your worship on for yourself and not touch another individual life in that place and leave and not even blink an eye. But we're called to be members of a body. I don't want to talk to people. I'm tired. I don't like people. I joke around about how I don't like people because I don't. But that's the most difficult thing about ministry is people. No, but seriously though, uh, God's given me a love for people, a, a passion for people. You know why? Because he has a passion for people. People is what he's all about. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Now, Peter's doing something good. There's people that you know, have different opinions about this. Peter's quoting scripture, which is good. Peter has an opinion, which is good. But some would argue that, you know, why wasn't this prayed about? You know, a very practical thing to say. Like he, you know, he, he left us and now we got to appoint somebody else. Verse 21, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of the, these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, we don't really, to be fair, we don't really hear a lot about any of the other apostles, really. Um, Matthias, we don't really hear much about him in the future either. The question is, what was the motivation? Was Peter just trying to get something done? Um, some people believe and say, but hey, look, listen, um, they're making these decisions apart from the Holy Spirit, right? Because have they received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet? They have not. 
Pentecost has not happened. So these have, they're having these conversations. You know the conversations that you have when you, you're waiting for something, you get bored? <laughs> it's like, oh, God said this was going to happen and it's not happening. So let's talk about it. You know, let's, let's figure out a way to speed the process along. You know, like Sarah did with Hagar and many other things that we could do. What were they told to do? They were told to wait. They were told to wait. Now, again, I'm giving you just a a different perspective. But they're making decisions and moving forward with something that they they haven't really received instruction on. There doesn't seem to be a seeking of the Lord. I don't know if I'd say that they were getting bored, but they're definitely waiting. Um, You know how long they waited, right? How long did they wait for Pentecost from the time Jesus went up. Um, Pentecost is 50, so 50 days after Passover. How long was Jesus with them? 40 days, so we're talking about a week and a half or so. Yeah, it's all there. We can, we can break it down. It's about a week and a half or so that they're waiting, and they're already starting to make decisions that, that um, it's like apostleship. This is kind of like, you know, I don't know if it was as big a deal for them because of the meaning of the original word is somebody who sent out. So he, they're saying, we were together, we experienced this together with Jesus, now we're being sent out. That may be the case. But they're talking about, they're talking about Judas. They're going through the field of blood. He quotes the scriptures. And then they're looking at the people around them. trying to figure out or see who can be that person that's listed as as the last. Then going into chapter 2, we won't go through the whole chapter, but we have a little bit. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we talked about something in Wednesday night for Joshua. This last Wednesday, Joshua and the Israelites are going to go up against Jericho. Their first battle that God says that he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna totally win for them, right? And, and, and he is going to win it for them. But before they go, and a couple times before, I said this, that God always sets a precedence when he starts to do a mighty, powerful work, right? Like delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. Now they're going into uh, the promised land. And there's this precedence that's going to be set with the battle of Jericho. It's going to be an over-the-top, incredible success. And it's going to be something that he wants to stick with them, right? So... Before they go to battle, we talked about this this morning as well, um, Joshua is told to circumcise all the males. Because the unbelieving generation in the wilderness wasn't practicing circumcision, none of the males were circumcised, and they were to be circumcised, which was a, a, a symbolic of a cutting away of the flesh before they could go in to really fully inherit the promises of God. You cannot fully inherit the promises of God if you're functioning in the flesh, period. Just like Galatians chapter 5, like we talked about also on Wednesday night. So there's this cutting away of the flesh, and there's this moment when the day Pentecost comes that they hear this mighty rushing wind, it fills the whole house, and they receive these tongues of fire, each one sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. I believe that this was a great precedence that was set. If you asked me if the gift of tongues was still for today, I would tell you yes, absolutely. I have witnessed it. Can I, is, is this too much for you guys? Does anybody here have the gift of tongues? I'm sorry. I have the gift of tongues. 
I remember sitting in my room and praying for the baptism, praying for God to help me. I didn't know what, you know, what, what I was going to do. It's a long story we don't have time for, but the Holy Spirit came upon me so powerfully that I started to say things that I didn't understand. I didn't know what I was saying. And it was like in waves, if I could, if I could. It was like a pulse. It was like a heartbeat. And I believe that not only is the gift of tongues for today, but I think most of you would probably be surprised if you're familiar with the gift of tongues, maybe that I have the gift of tongues because I don't stand up here yelling at you in gibberish. I could teach you how to speak in tongues if you'd like tonight. Does anybody want to learn how to speak in tongues? I learned this from Pastor Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. Just keep saying that over and over again. I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. And then I bought a Toyota, which was the best decision I ever made. It's not something that's learned. It's, it's a gift that's given. It's something that God works. So the, 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 the challenge is, yeah, yeah, the first gift that was manifest was the gift of tongues. But what were they, what were they saying? And there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this occurred, the multitude came to, uh, together and w- were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are all these not who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from uh, Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. They listened to Jesus. They were gathered together. They were seeking God. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes And what were they speaking in the foreign languages? The wonderful works of God. The tongues were intelligible. The other people could understand what was being said. I have heard stories of people on the mission field who have shared the gospel with somebody in a different language that they have never spoken before. Because the power of God is not restricted to your physical ability. In fact, God wants to use his power through you in your insufficiencies. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. He says, this is what I've called you to do. Therefore, I will give you the equipping to do it. He doesn't pat you on the bottom and send you out to go make a fool of yourself. And if you and I are living in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're being obedient to the calling that we've received through Christ Jesus, then we're going to have the ability to fulfill that calling when we go out into the world. It's not a social club. We don't get together to have fun because we like each other. I don't like any of you guys. I'm just kidding. I love you, right? But this isn't my, my motivation in coming down here on Sunday night isn't so that I can hang out with a bunch of cool people, even though you are cool. There's a, a Knights game on right now. Do you guys understand what that means? The point is, again, it's about people. It's about community. And, and God has called us as a church as a whole, to represent him well. Do you think that each one of us leaving church tonight will be better prepared and able to represent him well? I do 100%. My perspective's been changed. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up with a different kind of mentality. I'm going to go to sleep tonight thinking about you guys and thinking about what God has in store for us this week. Because when the word of God says that he's prepared good works for us to walk in since the foundations of the earth were laid, I wake up tomorrow, I say, what are those things today, God? 
What are those things that you want for us to do? And that's not just because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I want my faith to be exemplified in what my in how I live my life. Because I really do believe it. I don't just talk about it. I really believe that God, I've seen God in, in power change people's lives. I saw my mother pray for my father, who was a staunch Catholic for 30 years before he, he came to know the Lord and is still walking with him to this day and drives an hour and a half each way to come out from Pahrump to come to church here with his son because my mom prayed for him. There was a point where my parents were going to two different churches. My mom would wake up and go to Calvary. My dad would wake up and he'd go to Mass. He was very serious. I've shared this with you guys before. I don't want to be redundant. My grandma woke up and went to Mass every morning, every morning at six o'clock. Every morning. My grandmother was the first woman to become a Eucharistic minister in the northeastern part of the United States. You know what that means? When Pope John Paul II said, women are allowed to administer the Eucharist also, my grandma was first in line. That's my family's background, right? I've seen prayer change things. And, and, and what we, I think we, our problem in the American church now is that we just, we want things now. We want it to change. We don't even have the time to pray and wait. We're just like, God, this is what we want. Hook us up. We're like spoiled, bratty little kids. When we don't get our way, we start crying. We think the louder we scream, the more we're going to force his hand to do something for us. And God is not a helicopter parent. He lets you throw your fit and you scream it out. And then you go through the difficulty still. And his, his, his desire is obedience. That's what I want for my kids because I do know what's best for them, even though they don't believe it. Go home and just, you know, after church and I, I went in, uh, to, in my room to lay down for a minute just to rest my eyes and there's a knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it? Sophia. What do you want, Sophia? Can I have some ice cream? You haven't even eaten lunch yet. No, it's not best for you to have ice cream right now. It's best for you to wait until lunch is ready and then have lunch. And then maybe you can have some ice cream. We know better. Listen, God knows better for you. He knows the best for you. And us as his children, we should be responding to him by saying, okay, God, today's a new day. Um, you know what's best for me. I heard that word. I heard what you want from me, what you, what you have for me, uh, the, the, our expectation and hope series on Sunday. I want to practice what I believe. I want to live my faith. What do you have for me today? And if you pray that prayer, I guarantee that he'll meet you and he'll give you an opportunity. One last quick story. I woke up one morning and I said this. I said, God, um, I want to do your will today. I know that you have things in store for me and sometimes I'm thick and I don't get it and I really want to do your will today. What is it? And I always go to the same place to get my hair cut. I'm driving down to the church and I just have this inclination, almost like it was like uh, a leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't go get your hair cut at that place today. Go to a different place. And I'm driving. I don't know any other places to go to. Where am I going to go, you know? So I turn around the corner, and, and uh, there's a haircutting place. And, and, and there's something inside of me that prompts me and said, go get your hair cut there. And I said, okay. So I parked, and I went inside. And I talked to the lady at the front desk. I said, I'd like to, I'm a walk-in. I'd like to get a haircut. Oh, you, we don't take walk-ins. Like, you, you know, this is a salon. You, everybody's booked. And I said, okay, well, I just wanted to check. And when is the next available appointment? Or do I have to come back tomorrow? She said, wait, 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 wait hold on a second. I forgot so-and-so is here today. And I think their last appointment just ended. Let me, let me see. So she calls the lady. She says, hey, there's a guy here that is a walk-in. Nobody else is available. Will you cut his hair? She says, yeah. So I go back. I sit down. We're talking. She's doing my hair. And she asks me what I do. I say, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, okay. You know, kind of, you can tell when somebody wants to talk about it and when somebody doesn't want to talk about it. But the door is already open. So I start sharing, you know, I start sharing my faith with her, how good God is. And, and next thing you know, she's cutting my hair and I'm just in the thick of the, the gospel, like the raw gospel repentance and reconciliation to God. And she just starts weeping. 
She's just crying. And I say to her, I'll never forget, I say to her, you really needed to hear this, didn't you? And she says, no, I didn't. I don't care about what you have to say, but I know somebody who does need to hear it. And would you go meet with him? He's on house arrest. He's probably going to jail for a long time. His court date's coming up and he needs God's help big time. He can't leave. He has to stay in his house. Would you go meet with him? I said, absolutely, I'll go meet with him for sure. I'll go talk to him. Go meet this guy. He's got his ankle bracelet on. Pretty much done deal. He's going to the pen. He, he's big, big trouble. And, and um, I said, hey, your, your stepmom asked if I'd come talk to you. I, I want you to know that I came here to, to tell you the gospel, to share about God's perfect plan in your life. And he says, dude, I'll take anything you got. What do you got? Sat there, shared the gospel with him. He gets saved. Seen, you know, seen a work, a, a movement of the Holy Spirit. He gets saved, starts coming to church. Um, we have a baptism. He comes up to me, he says, hey, I really want to get baptized, but I can't submerge my ankle bracelet. If something happens to it, I can get in trouble and his court date hadn't come up yet. And I said, well, just, you know, just go ahead and, 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 and wait until you get it taken off. Oh, I don't know how long that's going to be. And if I, what if I just go, what if I go to jail and I go straight there? I'm like, well, don't worry about it. You know, like God's going to take care of you. Start seeking him about it, about this. Against the odds or whatever, he goes to court and um, they let him go. They give him a slap on the wrist and take the ankle bracelet off, take him off of uh, house arrest and um, let him go. He gets baptized. I see I see still the, the, the God taking him through the process, you know? And this is, this again, like, please trust me when I say there is no room whatsoever for me to put the spotlight on me. This is not the point. The point is that I have to uh, give you an example, right, that if you put yourself in the place of being used by God, he will use you. In a, in a, in a large house, there's vessels of righteousness and vessels of unrighteousness. God wants to use you as a vessel of righteousness. Grant and I, you know, Grant's new office is a couple doors down. This was it this past week. Well, yeah, it was because he came on on Wednesday. Um, he has an appointment with a guy. The guy notices on the, the the website that Grant is listed as an elder in his church. He googles the church, checks us out. He's a uh, on fire believer in Poland. He's Polish. He came over here just for business. Grant texts me. I go over and this guy's like, he's like bubbling and he's animated and he's super excited. And we all get to say he's, he, he helps pastor pretty much. He's an elder of a, of a small group of, of believers of 35 people in Poland, you know? And then the, the connection I don't know if you could have not made that or not had that meeting that day or if it was even an option, but sometimes we want to cancel things that God set as, as a divine appointment. This isn't even one of our appointments. It's a divine appointment. And it's good to be reminded and have that perspective again and, and to come back to the fact, and I'll close with this, Wherever you're at right now, wherever I'm at, wherever we're at, are we in a place where we're saying, God, I want to witness you in my life so that I can be a witness of you for others? I want to so be connected to you and being moved by you that it doesn't just affect me, it affects those around me. That's what the church is supposed to look like. You see what happened with the revival in Southern California with Calvary Chapel? It's because that's what was happening. Like people were excited to know who God was. People were not just getting around together to play church. They were excited to know who God was. And if we are in that kind of position where we are actively engaging and excited about what God is doing in our lives, he's going to do the same thing. And he's going to use you as part of the puzzle piece in his kingdom. I see Tommy and Larry and, and Steve, and, and they get together and they're in the back talking. They haven't seen each other in, in years, a decade or more probably. And you just see how God used these guys. 
and that they're here now together again and that God's doing something. He's stirring up the church. He's getting people involved. There's unity. We're seeking him. There's prayer. There's a submitting to his word. And boy, is it sweet to see it happen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word applied to the early church when these things were happening and the promise and giving of your Holy Spirit. But oh, so, oh, oh how they so apply to us today as well. God, that we want the, the dynamis. We want the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't want to be content with going to a Bible study. We don't want to be content with getting together with some of our Christian friends and playing games. We don't want to be content with identifying with a church or a title or a brand. We want to identify with being your witnesses being worshipers of you in spirit and in truth, and, and the passion that comes from knowing you would be so infectious that it would get into other people and that they would have the same desire and passion as well. You would change lives, that you would forgive sin, that you would bring restoration, and that we would be those living stones built together and testify of your goodness and your grace in these days. We love you. Thank you for these, my brothers and sisters who are here, Lord, tonight. Bless them this week as they go out and to do those, those take those steps and things that you preordained for them in Jesus' name. Amen.